This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hi, I'm Carmen Pate, and I'm so happy to be the host for this podcast today, so thank you for joining us. You know, we began a series last week uh, from Dr. Anderson's new book, Position and Condition. Now, I encourage you to go back and listen to that first podcast if you haven't done so. You don't want to miss any of these. Uh, You know, well, today we're going to continue this discussion, and I want you to think about something that Watchman Nee said in his book, sit, walk, and stand. He said believers must rest in the heavenly blessings that we've been given and then conduct our lives in accordance with the truth of those blessings. Only then are we ready to face demonic foes that fight against us. Well, what are the heavenly blessings that we've been given and how do we conduct our lives accordingly? Well, today we'll continue our discussion of the spiritual heavenly blessings for Believers in Jesus Christ with our guest, Dr. Dave Anderson. Dr. Anderson is president and professor of biblical languages and systematic theology at Grace School of Theology. He is a graduate of Rice University, and in addition, Dr. Anderson received his master's in theology and doctorate in Greek New Testament and early Christian literature from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's the author of many books we've discussed on this podcast in the past, and we're so excited to share with you some of his insights from his new release, Position and Condition. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Glad to be here once again. Well, Dr. Anderson, when Watchman Nee talks about resting in the heavenly blessings that we've been given, uh, he appears to be associating that phrase with the word sit that's in the title of that book. Would you suggest he's focusing on our position in Christ? Oh, absolutely. Uh, That's just exactly what he's doing. In fact, he gives the illustration in one of his books of a a warfare situation in which a guy's got a tank, Uh and there's a sniper that would like to stop the tank. Well, you know, a sniper can't stop a tank, so what's he do? Well, he kept pinging the tank uh, over and over, uh, until finally the driver opened the hatch and s- stuck his head up over outside, and the sniper shot him in the head. Well, uh, he, his mistake was getting out of his position, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was supposed for to sure. sit in the tank, <laughs> and he was okay against the sniper. Well, uh, he's telling us to focus. I mean, we can't really get out of our position in Christ. But we can stop focusing on it. We can, we can forget it. We can uh, lose sight of what's been done for us, uh, what's available to us. The fact is, he, as Peter tells us in Second Peter chapter 1, everything that's necessary for a victorious Christian life and to partake in God's heavenly character has been provided for us the moment we believe. And those things uh, would be what we'd count as our blessings in heavenly places. In fact, Lewis Perry Schaefer in his uh, systematic theology, if I remember right, he counted up 38 things we have in our, uh, blessings we have in our heavenly, in the heavenly places. 
Oh, I love yeah. it. I yeah. love it. You know, there are those who have uh, taken time to, to get a journal and begin writing <clears throat> out their blessings. <clears throat> but, wow, it just makes sense. You would start with those <laughs> right there. 38, right. wow. Yeah. Well, you pointed out last week that Paul's focus in, in Ephesians, uh, he, he, he starts with our position. Remind our listeners who perhaps did not listen to that podcast why it's important to understand our position before we consider our, our condition. Well, it's because nothing in our condition can ever change our position. But the beauty of the, uh, the Christian life is as we focus on our position, it can radically improve our condition. Mm-hmm. By focusing on my condition, my condition won't get better, it'll get worse. Mm-hmm. Because I tend to focus on my mistakes, my failures, my inadequacies, uh, and that can get me depressed. Yeah, still your joy. Yeah, I can decide there's no hope. Uh, I'm never going to be any better. I'm just you know, you know, doomed. Well, that's what, of course, Paul calls in uh, Romans 7, the wretched man. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Mm-hmm. And it's the defeated Christian life. Well, uh, the way out of that is to focus on our position and all that we have in Christ. And as we do that, uh, as we focus on our forgiveness, as we focus on being sealed by the Spirit, we realize that, uh, we are God's most precious possession. He will never let us go. And he will continue to work in us as we allow the Spirit to do that. Mm-hmm. So these are all things we gather or garner as we focus on our position mm-hmm. in Christ. And and the joy that is there when you do uh, mm-hmm. is incredible mm-hmm. and contagious, I think. Joy is contagious, that's for sure. Yeah. In fact, I know a, a fellow... Uh, an Englishman who's uh, quite a scholar, and he wrote his dissertation. He decided to write his dissertation on why there was no joy in his church. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) And in his conclusion, it was they were all focusing on their performance or on their condition. Mm. Mm. And where did that come from, (laughs) right? Well, and we could get into that, which he does in his book. Yeah. But but I just thought that was an interesting way to come at a dissertation. It it, it is. It is. Well, I love the way that Paul brings in each person of the Trinity mm-hmm. uh, to help us to understand our position. Let's take a moment, if we could, to talk first about how we are selected by the Father. W- when we read in Ephesians, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Wow. Now, we know, Dr. Anderson, there are some who would say, well, well that just proves that we don't really have a choice in the matter of our salvation. But you point out that we are caught in linear time and God is not. Talk a little bit more about that. Well, of course, we are caught in time that's only going forward. We can't really go past. But still, we're on a timeline. And we speak in terms of this birthday and the next birthday and things like that moving forward. But God is outside of time. Uh, He existed before time. In fact, even as scientists define time, it's cause and effect. Well, the Trinity was around before cause and effect. Yes. All right, so God is outside of time, and time really began not with the creation of the universe. That would be cause and effect. Mm-hmm. But time began with the creation of the angels. God's the cause. The effect was the angels. So that's when time as we know it, linear time, began. Mm-hmm. It could be linear time is wrapped up at some point. As we go off into eternity, just as eternity was there before time, right. eternity may exist after time. That linear time may end. Okay. That would be interesting. Yeah. Wow. But, but even if it goes on, <laughs> uh-huh. God can uh, is outside of all that. Uh-huh. You could talk about God's foreknowledge, and that would be that he knows everything that will actually come to pass. But you could talk about God's post-knowledge if you wanted to. Mm. 
because he's everywhere. Mm-hmm. He's omnipresent. He's present in the future. He's present in the past. And you might just say, God knows. In other just words, knows. foreknowledge might be an accommodation for those of us caught in linear time. Okay. That okay. God simply knows. He knows the past. He knows the future. He knows all these things. Uh, the other thing, the other thing you want to be careful of, though, is uh, until Augustine, Christianity was not deterministic. Uh, Augustine spent nine years, some say ten, as an auditor, trying to become one of the elect in the Manichaean religion. Uh, he was steeped in not only Manichaeism, but Stoicism, and which is a form of ultimate form of Gnosticism and Neoplatonism. All three of those were fatalistic. All three of those were deterministic. All three of those say you have no choice. Mm-hmm. All three of those say the falling of a leaf, the moving of my finger, was all predetermined in eternity past. You have no choice. He imported that into Christianity. Wow. All right. So when he's talking about the elect, he comes up with that some are predestined to hell, some are predestined to heaven. It's called double predestination. Scripture doesn't teach any of that stuff. No, no. Uh, even here, when you see the word predestined, uh, it's only used four times in Scripture, twice here, twice in Romans 8, and we're never predestined to a place. We're always predestined to a person. For example, in Romans 8, you're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Yes. It doesn't say you're predestined to heaven. Of course, it's not talking about people being predestined to hell. So I think uh, we can spend some more, I don't know where you're going with your questions, but we need to, too, we can spend some more time on the word elect and before the foundation of the world, but uh, that's sort of an introduction to the whole thing. Yes, yes. And I think it's so important uh, as believers and as we're talking to, to those who are unbelievers or teaching those who are new in the faith, that we encourage them to go back and, and research and do the, the history and to, to understand where some of these thoughts came from. Because I think now we, we come to a point in time where uh, that belief is just out there. Uh, uh, yeah. and, and so people just take it at face value rather than really going back to see, well, where did this come from? And is it true? And is it in the Bible? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, you share in your book uh, an analogy of choosing a spouse mm-hmm. to help us really understand about this choice thing yeah, with God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you would share that, because I think it, it really helps to bring it down to layman's terms, if you will, of, of, to okay, help us well, understand. Uh, did Bob ask you out at some point? That's your husband, Bob. Uh, right, right. Uh-huh. right. He, did. he did. He did. And um, you accepted, I guess. I did, okay. yes. Did you all date a while before you married? We did. We dated several months, huh. yes. Why didn't he just hit you over the head with his club and drag you off to a cave? Because <laughs> I would never have gone out with him again. <laughs> uh, well, look, you wasted a lot of time and money uh, doing all that dating stuff. I mean, really, I mean, what what was the purpose of all the dating? Because mm. w- he wanted to know that I loved him, and that I and I needed to know I loved that he loved me. Well, how would he know if you loved him? Well, because I would continue to want to see him, and I would, I would want to be with him all the time. And did he propose at some point to marry you? He did. Could you have said no? I could have said no. So he took kind of a risk there, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. So why did he take that risk? Because he didn't want me to marry him if I didn't love him. 
Right. And the only way you could show you loved him was through a choice. That's right. You chose him. That's right. But he chose you, didn't he? Yes. <laughs> he kind of chose each other, didn't he? Yes, we did. And that's really what Scripture teaches. Yes. That's why I think he even talks in Ephesians 5 about uh, marriage being a good picture of Christ in the church. Mm. But uh, he did reach out and choose us. That's what it says right here. You can't get out. You are elect. But he's elect also. Yes. Okay, see, he says, whosoever will, you know, whosoever desires, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Mm. That's a choice laid out. Mm-hmm. He doesn't force you. As C.S. Lewis says, God can never ravish. Mm-hmm. He can only, woo. can only woo. And hitting someone on the head or taking choice away mm-hmm. would be forced love at best. And we don't think the scriptures teach that. That's one reason we hold so hard or ardently to the concept of choice. Uh, we're not saying that someone on his own would choose to believe in Jesus. Uh, it takes dating, or what John 6.44 calls wooing. But we think through the convicting ministry of the Spirit, through the illuminating ministry of the Spirit, through the wooing ministry of the Father, that we are enabled, persuaded, yes. to believe. Yes. And, and it's like, you know, you just like in a dating relationship, yeah. you get to know someone. You fall in love. And I think it's the same with the Lord. It's like the more you mm-hmm. know him, mm-hmm. you can't help but fall in love with him. Right. And, and then from that comes, yes, I want to serve. I want to, to, uh, to be under his headship. Exactly. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful picture. But I think one of the most beautiful pictures in Scripture is that of adoption. Mm-hmm. Uh, that takes us back to our purpose, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, that idea of, of uh, us being part of his family now, because not all of us had, have, or had the perfect family here on earth, right? Right. And so, so let's talk about that adoption, that, pic- that picture of, of God's taking us in and changing our position to be part of that family. Well, adoption was uh, well known in all the different cultures in that time. They had different rules and different blessings. But uh, in the world to which he's writing, once you were adopted, you got equal rights with uh, the other natural children. Yeah. And, and in fact, one of the Roman emperors was an adopted son. Uh, and so it, it was a, a position of great privilege. The, the way Paul presents it in Romans is even more in-depth than here, and that is there are two phases in adoption. Well, in one phase, you got to uh, sit at the table and had voting rights. Uh-huh. That was at age 14. And then at age 25, you got property rights. So you had no property rights until you're 25, but you had voting rights. And he says in Romans 8 that, you know, the uh, adoption, the whole creation is waiting to see the revelation of the full, the the 25-year point, so to speak. Okay. The time when we get our property rights. Mm. Well, uh, that's in the millennial kingdom. Okay. It's when we get our property rights. But right now we have voting rights. Mm. So we have choices. And we're given those choices once we're adopted by him Mm -hmm. and that once we're in his family. You know, my uh, uh, oldest daughter wasn't able to have kids, so she went over to, to Russia, and she had a buy one, get one free program, so to speak. <laughs> oh anyway, they took uh, two kids, yeah. uh, different orphanages, but just two months apart in age, brought them back at seven months and, and nine months. Mm. And I remember visiting when they were four years old. Uh, they were living up near Cleveland, Ohio, 
And uh, my daughter was very strict with her uh, her table manners. Oh. And you got a little four-year-old. Don't do that with your mashed potatoes. Keeps warning him. Says, "Now, Drew, if you do that again, I'll send you to timeout." And I thought, "Ooh, ooh, this strict daughter here." But you know, I thought uh, about God, and uh, you know, uh, what if He said to me when I mess up, "Say, so you do that one more time, I'm sending you back to Russia." You know, <laughs> I'll send you back to hell, so to speak. I kick you out of the family. Well, what a ridiculous thought. They're not going to send those kids back to Russia. They paid a huge price, I mean, literally, mm-hmm. to bring those kids over here to a new country and to be in a new family. And they're part of the family now. Of course. And once they're adopted, I mean, I've learned so much about God's love for us through watching those children. Oh, I'll bet you have. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you don't notice, a, you don't walk in and go, oh, okay, they're not blood relatives. They're, you know, like visitors. No, you don't think about that at all. In fact, my younger daughter, uh, same issue, and... Uh, so she adopted two interracial, uh, t- I said I would say two interracial twins. I guess twins are two, but she adopted twins uh-huh. uh, at birth, interracial. And uh, we just, you know, it's not hardly a day goes by that my wife doesn't show me another little clip that has been sent from Austin about our little kids. We just love them to death. Uh, and just as, as the Lord loves us. And, you know, when I think about how, people kind of going back to, again, this topic we've been discussing, that of purpose, uh, it, it, it seems that people are also looking for acceptance. And that adoption picture is just so beautiful mm-hmm. in that we are accepted into a family uh, that is eternal. Yeah, my uh, favorite illustration of that is from Montana. Uh, when they had a great big snowstorm, and a bunch of the lambs died. Mm-hmm. And then some of the ewes died. So you had living lambs with no mother, and you had mothers with no living lambs. I verified this with my sister, who's a shepherdess in Kentucky. And she said, there are two ways to fix that. One of the ways is to skin the dead lamb, sew that skin onto the living lamb who has no mother, because they will not let the lamb feed if it's not their own. Oh, and they know their own. They know their own. So the living lamb can't go to the mother you who's lost her lamb. She won't feed it, won't let it feed. Mm -hmm. But if you sow the skin from the dead lamb that was the offspring of the you, then she will allow that lamb to feed. That lamb is accepted in the beloved. Wow. Got it? Yeah. So when we trust Christ, we put on his righteousness. Mm -hmm. His perfect life is credited to our account in heaven. We are accepted in the beloved. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? That is a beautiful mm-hmm. picture. Yeah. And God the Father looks looks at us through what Christ has done for us on the cross. Sun tinted glasses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tinted with red. Love it. S O M. Yes, yes. Well, all three persons, we've said, had a hand in securing our position. And uh, we talk, we've talked about the Father, uh, that he, he may have chosen us before time, after time, during time. It doesn't matter because he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. Uh, it, it truly is all about him. It's all about uh, uh, his praise and his glory. So if the Father selected us, then what is the role of the Son in this process? 
Well, uh, I like to say we were selected by the Father, saved by the Son, and sealed by the Spirit for our three sections here. And of course, when I talk about saved, in this sense, I'm talking about justification salvation mm-hmm. or salvation from the penalty of sin. Okay. And we see in Scripture three types of salvation, three tenses of it. In the past, we're saved from the penalty of sin, justification. In the present, we're saved from the power of sin, sanctification. In the future, we're saved from the presence of sin, that would be glorification. This is talking about the first one, okay. that we are mm-hmm. saved from the penalty of sin. Mm-hmm. And he uses a word like redemption uh, to explain that, uh, where redemption was always, the picture was going into the agora, the marketplace. Right, right. And they would have slave blocks there where the slaves would be up for auction, and you would buy a slave, and you'd take him out of the marketplace. Uh, so that's what uh, he's saying here. We were slaves to sin, and... Uh, he bought us and took us out of that marketplace to be his own. And, of course, the adoption we've already yeah. talked about. He paid the price. So when we it. say, when someone says, well, what do I need to be saved from? It's from that penalty of sin. Correct. Yes. Which means for us, if that's, if we are not saved from that, what does that mean for us? Well, we've spent eternity separated from God. Yeah. That's the penalty. That's what the scriptures call spiritual death. Death is often a picture of separation. Physical death is separation of the immaterial part of man from the material part, the body from his spirit and soul. All right. Well, spiritual death is also separation, but it's separation uh, of a person from God, separated from God. But it's for eternity. Uh, it also calls that the second death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm always amazed, Dr. Anderson, at those who would say... Uh, who are not believers in Jesus Christ, who would say, well, I don't see anything wrong with being separated from your God. You know, who, in other words, there are those who are so uh, anti-God that they think, well, that would be heaven for them to not, to to be separated. They aren't grasping what that really means. If we took God out of the picture, how dark, how horrible uh, that would be, right? Well, uh, just take a look at some of the countries who've tried to do that on a macro level, you know, like mm-hmm. communism tried to stamp God out of their country. And uh, look at the people killed by Stalin. If you add the gutlogs, some people have estimated it's gone up to 100 million people he's responsible for. Everyone agrees at least 20 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the, the life that so many of them have had over there in a godless country. Yeah. Uh, there's very little, talking about purpose, there's very little individual purpose other than to further the goals of the state. Yeah. Uh, and with communism, it's a global goal. Mm-hmm. You know, with fascism, it's a national goal. But uh, they still are trying to live a life without God, and they have no sense of purpose. And hence, in those systems, there's very little value to an individual human life. The individual exists for the state. Right. If they can't help the state or if they're in the way of the state, they're, they're eradicated. Yeah. They're not necessary. Yeah. Where Christianity puts ultimate value on each human life. Mm-hmm. In fact, Romans teaches that uh, if you were the only one who ever trusted Christ out of all the billions of people who've lived or will live, he would have died for you. That puts a pretty high price on you, doesn't Boy, it? Boy, it does. <laughs> it does. Does Bob know you're that valuable? I know, and we need to make sure he understands that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. goodness. Why 
why is it so hard for us to grasp the fact that we need saving? Well, I think uh, that's you know, part of being in sin, mm. dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, when we're separated from God, our uh, spiritual sensitivities aren't you know, as, as sharp as they are once we become Christians and once the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And the sin nature loves independence. It loves to uh, think it can do it on its own. It's captain of its fate, that kind of thing, yeah. invictus. But, um, you know, uh, many people find sooner or later that uh, they're sinful mm-hmm. and they don't like the sin. It may have pleasure for a season, but there's an aftertaste that's horrible and they'd like to be delivered from it. Those are the people ready for a Savior. <laughs> no doubt about it. Well, the spiritual blessings that result uh, is that our sins are forgiven when we believe in Jesus Christ. And how can our understanding of forgiveness be confused if we don't understand the difference in our position mm-hmm. and our condition? Well, we talked about that, I think, last week mm-hmm. and the fact that there are two levels of forgiveness in Scripture. Mm-hmm. One you're looking at right here uh, in Ephesians 1, verse 7, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and that's on your positional level. That's where it's all forgiven past, present, and future. And that, by the way, is the basis for what we call eternal security. That uh, in the church, from uh, at least from 100 A.D. all the way to, say, 1530, they had no assurance of their salvation. Mm-hmm. They couldn't because they thought their sins were only uh, forgiven up to their last confession. So they had to keep going back to the father confessor over and over and over. That's why they had to have last rites and all those things mm-hmm. to make sure their sins were confessed before they died. Well, along comes uh, came some of the reformers. They said, no, uh, forgiveness is not on earth. It's in heaven. And that takes care of future sins. Once future sins are taken care of, you have a basis for eternal security, Absolutely. a basis for living with God forever. But that's in your position uh, still uh, in your condition on earth, when we sin, there's, that's a personal offense to God. That breaks fellowship, breaks intimacy, and we need to ask for forgiveness on a personal level. Uh, it's just like uh, my daughter, uh, when she was 16, she asked if she could borrow the car. Well, I've only bought two new cars in my life, and this was one of them, so I let her have it. I went somewhere and came back, and it was wrecked on the left side. And I thought, uh-oh. So I went in, and uh, Christy was uh, nowhere to be found. And uh, her older brother said, Dad, she's upstairs. You want me to get her? <laughs> he wanted to watch the show. <laughs> I said, well, just tell, tell her that I'm here. And uh, so he went to the stairwell and said, uh, you know, Christy, Dad's home. Well, she doesn't come down. And we wait a while, and he goes back and says, Christy, don't you want to talk to Dad? And so finally she came down, looked at me, started crying, came over. Of course, I gave her a big hug, and I, she said she was so sorry. I said, well, what happened? She said, well, you know, on a Young Life meeting, they all park along the road, and so I was trying to avoid hitting those cars, and I ran right into a brick mailbox on the left side of the road. And I uh, said, so, well, Christy, you know, it's just metal. You know, it's just a car. It can be fixed. Uh, but you're not hurt, right? No. Well... She had positional forgiveness just from being my daughter. Of course. Right? Yes. Did she have to come downstairs to get that forgiveness? Mm. No. 
She already has it. But what about on a personal level? We would not be enjoying the relationship till she came down, at least we talked talk about the situation, right? That's exactly the way it is with us and God. Love it. Exactly. First John 1 9. Right. Confess our sins. He's faithful and just to cleanse us, forgive us for all unrighteousness. It's a beautiful picture. Well, it takes more than a couple of weeks to review our spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. We've discussed how we're selected by the Father, we're saved by the Son. We have so many more blessings to discuss. So next we'll talk about what it means to be sealed by the Spirit. It's always our prayer that our discussions will stir your interest to get into God's Word, to learn more about God's purpose in your life and your position in Christ Jesus and your condition in your daily living. Now, if you're hungry for more, we encourage you to check out the many, many courses that are offered here at Grace School of Theology. They will all help you to grow in your knowledge and your love for Jesus Christ. Don't forget to share our podcast with others. Send us your comments, your questions, your suggestions for future program topics. You can send them by email at savinggrace at gsot.edu or Twitter. Our handle is at savinggracecast. We are so glad you tuned in today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and it can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.